Welcome to, uh, to Grace, everybody. Good to have you here this weekend. My name is Jeff. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to, to meet you and uh, connect with you a little bit. Some folks coming in, if you have seats, uh, let them know that you have it. And it's a great chance to remind you about the extension uh, that starts in a, a half hour at 1130 just down the road. It may save a fight in the minivan and uh, love for you to be there as well. So welcome. Good to have you. Welcome everybody watching online. I, Heidi and I were talking with a friend last night and uh, she said, do you actually know that we're watching online? And yes, Stacy, I do know that you're watching online. I can see you. And so, uh, but welcome everybody watching online and uh, good to have you guys as well. We're in a Christmas series right now uh, that we're calling So This Is Christmas. And what we, how we started this was uh, we, we dig in kind of to the depth of what Christmas actually was, the, the spiritual ramifications of it. And just kind of started there, that beyond the, the season and the holidays and things like that, that stuff is fun, but there's this deep, life-changing, transformative thing that happened when God gave His only Son, Jesus, and Jesus uh, came to us at Christmas time, came to be among us. So we had that conversation and just said, how we hear that information is a big deal. If it's a statement, if it's a question, or if it's a life-changing, deep thing that alters who we, we actually are. And then we said, knowing this now, knowing that that's kind of God's intention and how He would want us to receive it, what do we do with it? How do we interact with what God gave to us? And then how do we translate that into and then out of our lives? How do we illustrate or emulate or imitate the, the heart and the mind of Jesus as we love the people around us and we interact with them? And in, in the holiday season, we're just in close proximity to people. It's just the way that it is. It's lots of parties and family and, and all that kind of stuff. And so as a Christ follower, that's what I want to do. I, I want to help Jesus make sense to you uh, by, by allowing him to affect and to change my own life. So what we're doing is we're, we're taking some of the characteristics of Jesus, his heart and mind, and saying, how do we receive it? And then how do we give it? We started last weekend with humility expressed through generosity, that because of God's power in our life, we can give with joy from our places of poverty, give relationship, give love, give support, give money maybe sometimes, give the gospel, and we can do that out of our lives. Uh, this weekend, I want to take another one of these characteristics, another one of these ideas that, that is true of Jesus, and it's in his heart and in his mind, and then it shows up a ton at Christmas time. And I want to talk about the idea of peace, right? So we talk about peace at Christmas all the time. It's on the Christmas card. It's on the Christmas wreath, those kind of things. And, and peace is something that is very much a part of God. Uh, it's something that, that He is like. It's a characteristic of His heart. It's an it's a attribute, we would say, of God. And it's something that He wants to give to us. So you see it all through the Bible, right? It's, it's kind of a big range of stuff, but you see it. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. That's a big deal and, and all the ramifications of that. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, uh, when the angels are announcing the arrival of Jesus, one of the things they say is peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Uh, later, later on in Philippians, the Bible says, you know, that, that God will, Christ will give us a peace that transcends all understanding. And so this is, this is a conversation that the Bible has with us a lot. And it's something that we need and we value, and it kind of shows up on levels in our lives. So we have, we would kind of say inner peace, 
The Bible would use the word comfort, like God will give us that comfort. We can give that to each other, and that's what transcends all understanding. It kind of settles the soul down. Uh, there is relational peace, right? And so this is the big one is between us and God. Uh, the Bible says in Colossians and Romans and a couple other places actually that before we're followers of Christ, we're, we're, at, uh, we're enemies of God in our heart. The Bible uses the word enmity, this ongoing conflict between humanity and God. And so through Christ, God brings a peace to that, a cessation of hostilities where we can be at peace with God and connected with God the way that we were designed to be. And then, and then there's like global peace, right? There's like the, the war stopped and, and an enemy was defeated or somebody laid down their arms. Sometimes that global peace is more like family room peace, right? We, we walk away from that relational conflict and all of those things are true of God and they're all a part of the character of, of God. Now, where I want to take us this weekend is this idea that when I become a follower of Christ, I receive the peace of God. I come to peace with God. I kind of accept his terms of surrender. I have the inner peace, the comfort of God, the, the kind of the, the security of my soul. And now what I want to do is I want to export that. I want to illustrate it. I want to imitate it. I want to emulate it. <clears throat> and I want to give that <clears throat> to the people around me. And I want to be a person of peace. Now, Jesus grabs this idea and uh, he says it probably the most clearly in his biggest sermon. His biggest sermon is called Sermon on the Mount. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 5, real important sermon. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, blessed are the, <clears throat> the peacemakers, for they will be called ch uh, children of God. So Jesus takes this whole big concept of peace, and he's like, <clears throat> my followers, I want you to be peacemakers. Uh, you, you have received a, the peace of God. You are at peace with God. If you're following me, you even have the ability to be at peace with each other. Now, I want you to take what I have poured into you and I want you to export it out. I want you to become one who makes peace or facilitates peace. And I, that makes that you will be happy and you will be blessed. And my children, the children of God, they do that kind of stuff. They are peacemakers, all right? So let's figure this out a little bit. What, what is a peacemaker? How does it work? To, to define what a peacemaker is, we kind of have to define what it isn't for a second, okay? So just for clarity's sake. So a peacemaker is not an appeaser. That, that's a, a false definition. So it's not peace at all costs kind of a thing. A peacemaker is not an appeaser. It's not like just give them what they want. When you're in line waiting for Santa and your kid flips out and you're like, just give them the five pound bag of sugar and let them, you know, it, it's not... That, that works short term, and, and, but not long term. And, and so like, it's, that's not the idea that you're, a peace, that you're an appeaser. Uh, a peacemaker is not one who denies pain. So it's not somebody who's in denial, where, where you look at somebody and say, let's just forget that that ever happened and just walk away from it. First of all, that's absolutely impossible to do. You can forgive, but you cannot forget. So it's not going to work anyways. And that's denial. That's just pretending that reality isn't reality. That's, that's not peacemaking. That's not what God's talking about. Peacemaking <clears throat> is not the reestablishment of trust. It's a very different thing. So trust is a math problem. It's not a decision as much as it's a math problem. So when you do this 
and you tell me the truth, and you do this, and you tell me the truth, and you do this, and you tell me the truth. I add that up, and I trust you according to how many times you've done that. You build trust. Same thing happens when you lie to me or betray me. You, I subtract that trust. So trust, trust is something that's given and earned. <clears throat> it's not like just something that you can make happen, okay? So it's not the reestablishment of trust. We can be at peace but not, not have reestablished trust yet. We can decide to go down that path but not have arrived yet. And the last thing that I think is important is this. Sometimes we are polite but we're not at peace, and that actually can be okay as long as you get back to peacemaking. So sometimes you look at somebody and you're like, this is not the time or the place, right, to talk about that. You might be doing that right now. You might have had a fight on the Honda Odyssey minivan on the way over here about whether or not the kids should watch Frozen again. And you pull in the church parking lot and you're like, let's just go to church, right? And so you press pause, but you're not at peace. There, that, that often is just being polite, like it's not, the, the dinner table at grandma's house is not the time to talk about this. So we're going to press pause, but I have to get back to peacemaking, okay? So it's, I, I, I'm a real big fan of the pause button, by the way. So that's okay, but get back to peacemaking, okay? So that's, that's what it's not. What is it? <clears throat> when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God, what he is saying is this. He's saying that peacemaker is this person. A peacemaker is a person who seeks to bring about peace between two conflicting parties. That's all a peacemaker is. So there's some, they're a catalyst. There's somebody who steps in and says, I, I want to be used, we would say by God, to bring about peace because there's conflict. And I want to be a peacemaker. And there's a few ways, kind of roles that you can play as a peacemaker. So to be a peacemaker, you might be one who offers peace. There, there's a conflict and, and you're, there's tension and you're, you're like, you know what, I'll, I'll break the ice. I, I need to call them. Hey, listen, we're not getting along. We kind of mellowed down. Can we sit and talk about it? So you might be the one who offers peace. Uh, another way that you can be a peacemaker is you can broker peace. So sometimes you're, you're one that, that two people at conflict, they trust you but not each other. So mom and dad have been divorced for 20 years. They don't talk to each other. He cuts attention with the knife. The grandkids are in the middle. And, and you're like, you know what? She listens to me and he listens to me. You guys come to the table and I'm, we're going we're gonna to come to some kind of a peace with this. So sometimes you broker the peace. So you can offer peace, you can broker peace. And then the third way that you can be a peacemaker is, is you receive peace. Okay, so sometimes you're the one that needs to pick up the phone. Somebody's been reaching out to you and you, you've been like, I don't want to deal with it. I'm so sick of talking with them. I don't know what, how we're even going to get over this. And you're the one that, that needs to be open to receiving the apology and to allowing the relationship to be opened back up again. But that's what a peacemaker does. And Jesus says, I like that. <clears throat> Blessed are those people. I like it when they, when they do that relationally. I, li I really like it when they, do, when they help people, when they broker a peace between a, uh, a human being and God, that I lead them or I bridge them to God. And, 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 and I, I like that. It's a good thing when you're the one who helps to facilitate peace between two parties who are in conflict with each other. You offer it, you broker it, or you are the one who receives it, Okay. Now, this, this is how this works a little bit. Let's get our head around some. When I think about peace, as a peacemaker, I can offer it, broker it, or receive it, 
but I cannot create it. That's a really important distinction. I can't make you come to peace. I can't make you be right with another person. That, that's what a parent does when the kids are fighting and they're like, apologize to your sister. Sorry, sorry. You did not create peace. You created a little bit of obedience to you, but there is no peace in that relationship. The minute you leave the room, somebody's going to punch somebody, right? Because we didn't come to peace. So I, can, I cannot make people be at peace. I cannot make you come to peace with God. All I can do is create a table in which the ingredients for peace are set. So let me show you that this is a super cheesy illustration that you're going to remember it and you're going to hate me for it, but you're welcome, okay? So here it is. Let's pretend that we were going to make brownies. I've never actually made brownies. In my life, brownies just magically appear. I have no idea how they happen. Heidi and I have been married almost 25 years. We've had a deal for 25 years that she cooks and I clean. And it's worked out great for us. So I don't cook even brownies. If she's not there, I buy my food at a window and move on, right? So I, I'm no good at any of this. So this is, this is what I've heard. I heard this is how you make brownies, okay? So let's just say we want brownies, that brownies is the piece, okay? It's the mix that we're looking for. Now, what I did was I read this box, and apparently there's several steps to making brownies, okay? So you need ingredients. So apparently to make brownies, you need oil, I read that somewhere. You need oil, okay? So I have oil. I have this mix. I have this ingredient. I do not have brownies. I ha- I'm starting to collect the things that could make brownies. Uh, I read on the box that you need, uh, you need eggs, right? So you need an egg, apparently, to make a brownie, I heard. So I have, I have oil. I have eggs. I have brownie mix. I do not have brownies, I just have the ingredients that could be mixed together to make brownies. And then I read somewhere that, that you're supposed to have uh, water. I thought this was a weird coffee cup, but apparently you measure ingredients in this thing. I wondered why they were around the house. Heidi even has different sizes of these. I had no idea, right? So you need water. And so this is what I heard is that you take the, the mix, the egg, the oil, the water, and you can make brownies. As a peacemaker... I cannot make you make peace, but I can set the ingredients for the peace on the table. And if you'll come to the table and interact with the ingredients, we could create, we could make the brownies. We could create peace. A peacemaker is not one, because only Christ can make peace. Certainly between us and him and really between two people. Only Christ can do that. That's his job. I'm, the, I'm one who wants to be a peacemaker, a bridge builder, a catalyst, so I can put the ingredients on the table. Now, when I think about making peace, and I think about the ingredients, what might these ingredients be? What would I put on the table in order to create peace or set an environment in which peace could be created? And that's but we'll dig out here for a minute, okay? So when I look at the scriptures and I think about this in a relational context, these would be the ingredients that I look at. The first one is this. The first ingredient that I would put on that table is myself, myself. I bring myself to the table as an ingredient for peace. Uh, The apostle James in chapter four, verse 17, James was Jesus's brother. And James says this, He said, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do 
and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Isn't that a fascinating passage? If anybody knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If anybody know, if anybody has received the peace of God, if anybody has understood the forgiveness of God, if anybody has come to terms with God so we're no longer in a state of enmity, consistent conflict, if anybody knows what God says, what the Bible says, if anybody has received godly wisdom, if anybody then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it becomes sin for them. When I move from ignorance, I didn't know, to biblical information the Bible says, and that does not translate into action, what I do is I move from ignorance to information to rebellion. I refuse now to do what God told me that I should do, and I know it. You could say it like this. If anyone then knows that I should forgive as I've been forgiven and doesn't do it, if anyone then knows that I should love as I have been loved and doesn't do it, if anybody then knows that I should rid myself of all bitterness, anger, slander, malice, and brawling and replace it with compassion, forgiveness, and doesn't do it, it moves from ignorance to information to rebellion. Now I, I know exactly what I should do. I know that I'm in conflict. I, I know that I don't like to be around this person. I, we're all talking about the tension that they're going to bring to the Christmas dinner. And I, I know they're in, if anybody knows Matthew chapter 18, they know that a brother or sister has sinned against them. The, the scripture says, Jesus says, the one who was offended should go to them. Not the one who did the offending, the one who was offended. I go and say, hey, listen, we got an issue we need to figure out. If anybody knows a brother or sister is in sin and they are mature, they should be seeking to restore that person and they don't. And James, he just kind of kicks it up and, he, and he, he, he looks at, these are for Christ followers. He looks and says, Listen, it transitions, man. Like, it, it, it is not okay that this tension and this relational break and, and these thoughts and these words and these actions are just out there. It's not okay. And so when I'm looking to make, make peace and be a peacemaker, I, I kind of have to start with, with me, I, I am willing to, to love like Christ said. I will self-initiate. I will make the first move. I will break the ice. I'll make the phone call. I'll send the text, whatever it is. And, and I will set aside my real or perceived rights, all the things we've been talking about, and I'll bring myself to the table of peace, okay? So that would be an ingredient that the Bible would say, yeah, that's a big one, that, that you move and you do that, you obey you walk with God. Now, the second one is this. I'm going to bring myself to the table. I'm going to be obedient to, to Christ, to the teachings of God's word. I'm going to seek to implement those. The second thing I'm going to bring to the table is a little bit different. It's this. I'm going to seek to bring understanding to the table. I'm going to seek to bring understanding to the table. I love this Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 5. It's a great Proverbs. It says this. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. I love that. 
A person's heart, their motivation, their background, their pain, the purposes of their heart are deep waters. There is depth to a person's heart. And and the, the one who has the insight draws that depth out. People, if I was gonna paraphrase this, I might say it this way, people are complicated. And they have a backstory. And why they do what they do is a deep and complicated thing. The one who gets insight on that, who draws that out, they're going to understand that issue differently. Uh, My mentor is a guy named uh, Pastor Bob Combs. And Pastor Bob is about, about as tall as Yoda. You can kind of carry him on your back if you want. And, and he's a very wise man. He has this little crooked finger, and he's always looking up at me because he's short. And, and, and I've heard him say this for all the years I've been here. I've probably heard it a thousand times. He'll look at me. He calls me Jeffrey. He and Heidi are allowed. You're not. So he'll call me Jeffrey, and he'll say, Jeffrey, hurting people hurt people. Heard that a thousand times. Hurting people hurt people. And what he's saying is this. The waters of a person's heart are deep. And when there is pain in those waters and there's abuse in those waters and there's abandonment in those waters, and if you want to understand, your dad is not a jerk because he's a jerk. He has a backstory. And you didn't even really know your dad till you were like 25 and he was like 45. He doesn't even register with you that he's a human being until about then. What happened back there formed him a lot like it formed you. What was that? Your mom, your mom is not just the conductor on the crazy train, right? There, there's, there's issues in her life. Mom, what, tell me about your relationship with your parents. Mom, how come you hate that one uncle so much? Mom, tell me about when you were in high school and in college. The waters of a person's heart run deep. And as I gain understanding and insight into them, listen, it does not excuse their behavior because we're not talking about enabling a person. Uh, we're, we're not talking about living in denial. We're not talking about appeasement. But when I understand a person, it changes the way that I interact with them. When I, when I can fill in the rest of the information even a little bit, it might cause me to be more compassion, more compassionate or more patient with them because I'm gaining insight. The other day, uh, Heidi and I were... Uh, going out to the car to, to meet some friends. Just the two of us were going to go out with our friends. And when we walked out of our house, we, we walked around the corner. And when we walked around the corner, I, our sons were playing basketball, which is a, like a daily occurrence at our house, full combat basketball. A lot of blood stains in our driveway. And so they're, they're out there doing that. And we walked around the corner and we saw one of our sons take a shot. He missed it. And then he, he sat on the ground and he screamed, Right? So we look at that and we're like, you little brat, you're you're acting like a 10-year-old. You're 11 now. Stop it. What is your problem? I can't believe it. Right? Now, the waters run deep. If you got a little bit of insight into that story, it would completely change your interaction because sitting on the ground, it's screaming. It's not an acceptable thing. 
So what if I gave you some insight? The other day, Heidi and I were walking out our back door. She and I were going to go out and meet some friends, just the two of us. And when we walked out, our sons were playing basketball. They play basketball in our driveway all the time. It's full combat sport. Our basketball, our driveway has a lot of bloodstains. We turned around the corner, and my son took a shot. And when he took a shot, he missed it. And when he landed, he landed on the edge of the driveway, rolled his ankle over, and sat on the ground and screamed. We have never heard him do that before. He's a tough little 11-year-old who gets beaten by his brothers on the basketball court daily. See? Changes everything. Because you, you have an insight. Does it mean that we want our kid to scream all the time? Does it mean that everything's okay? You don't start accusing all of the other kids of what they did, but you draw a little bit of insight out. Now suddenly I know how to interact with this person differently. See how that works? So if I want to set the table for peace, if I want to put the ingredients to make the brownies, I bring myself, I'm going to be obedient to God, and then some understanding, any bit of understanding I can get, not enabling, not appeasing, not excusing, not denial, understanding. Because it will alter the way that I interact with something, and it makes me a better peacemaker because I can understand better how to interact with those things. Now, here's the third thing, the third ingredient that I think the Bible would teach us is this. That when I come to the table, I'm going to bring myself, I'm going to bring some understanding. The third thing that I believe the Bible would tell us is this, that, that when we come to the table, something I bring to the table and set on it is managed expectations. Managed expectations. This is a big one because of this. Ready? Most relational conflict comes from unmet expectations. I love this Proverbs too, chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. When I have hope and expectation, when I have hope that something's going to happen the way it's going to happen, and that hope is deferred, it doesn't happen the way that I want to happen, that expectation is not met, it literally makes my heart sick, sometimes down to my soul. When I hope that my husband is going to interact with me this way and he didn't even remember it was our anniversary. When, when I hope that my kids, I've given my kids all I can give them. I've given them a home. I've given them opportunity. I try to give them an education. I'm trying to be a faithful dad. And I hope they take advantage of that and they don't take advantage of that. When I hope that my dad is finally going to praise me, he's going to come over for, for Christmas time, and he's going to look at me, and he's going to say, son, man, I, your new job allowed you to get your new house and you, your new car. I am proud of you, son. And none of that happens. It makes the heart sick. So expectations are a big thing. And managing those expectations on the deep levels and on the small levels is one of the big things that I bring when I want to make peace, right? Because if I can learn to set expectations correctly, it changes things. Uh, some of you know Heidi. A lot of you don't know Heidi. Uh, one of the things you may or may not know about Heidi is Heidi is Brazilian. 
right? And so she's, she's Brazilian. I love that part of her. I love the other culture. I love our Brazilian family. I love all that that brings into our life. It's, it's a rich part of our life. But Brazilians and Americans are different, and, and I am kind of as American as it gets. And one of the ways that this shows up is in our concepts of time. I love schedules. I think they are beautiful, wonderful things. I love to be on schedule. I like to know my schedule. I like to know my schedule ahead of time. I like to prepare for my schedule. The last thing I do at night is look at my schedule so I know what to do in the morning. It's a great way to run life because God is a God of order and that is what pleases him. And so I I love those things, right? I don't like to be late. That's a big, big deal to me. I, if I'm late to the previews of a movie, I feel like I got ripped off. I'd rather skip the movie than be late to the previews. I, I just hate it. I like things to start on time. You go to a church that has a countdown clock to when service is going to start, right? And it, it's, it's worked really well. And so, right, so it, it, it's a, that, that is the way that I'm wired and the way that I like it. Heidi, as a Brazilian, doesn't know that like the idea or concept of time exists. It's like a completely different thing. And so over the course of our, of our marriage, we're always like in this, this battle about time or trying to figure out time. We were in Brazil a few years ago visiting family and friends down there, and uh, this church asked me to speak at it, and so I, that's fine. And so I was going to speak at this church. And so I was preparing the night before to speak at this church. And one of the things I was preparing, I was getting my schedule in line because that's what pleases God. I thought, surely I don't want to miss their countdown clock. And so this is what we should do. And so I asked Heidi, I said, what time does church start? She said, 10 o'clock. I said, great. I'll get up at 7. I will take a shower. I'll eat some breakfast, spend some time with the Lord, go over the message, all those kind of things. I have a routine. I keep it here every week. And, and, I, and I love it. And I said, so we should probably leave, what, 9.30, honey, get there, quarter till 10, get prepared, and stuff like that. And she looked at me. She goes, no. She goes, you can't be on time. That's rude. I said, I said what did you drink last night? Right? She goes, that's rude. I said, why? She goes, you're, never, you're not on time. They won't be expecting you. I said, why did they give me a time then? She goes, you can't be on time. I said, what time should we get there? She goes, maybe 10.30, quarter till 11. They'll show up about 11, 11.15, something like that. I said, why do they say it starts at 10 o'clock? Why don't they just say it starts at 11 o'clock? She goes, then nobody would be there till noon. <laughs> right? I can't figure it out. <laughs> right? So over the years, what we've done is manage our expectations. I just lie to her. If something starts at 10, I tell her it starts at 9. She shows up at 10, 15. Like, we have it all laid out, right, how, how it works. And it removes the conflict because the, the expectations. Now, that's a silly thing I'm teasing about, but man, it gets deep, doesn't it? And when I come to the table, one of the things I can come to the table is this. I'm going to come to the table, and I'm expecting to give, not receive, I come to the table and I'm expecting to act in, act in humility, not act in victory. I'm expecting to hear your heart, not make my point. See how that works? And I can bring that and I can put it on the table and it will be one of the ingredients that is going to help me be the peacemaker that God wants me to be, right? Now, here's the last one. I bring myself, I bring understanding, I bring managed expectations. And then this one is, this last one's the brownie mix. This, this is the big one. That, that you put this one in and it joins everything together 
and we can make the brownies, we can make peace, okay? This one is what the Apostle Paul calls uh, sincere love. I can bring sincere love to the table. Let me show you this passage. If you've got a Bible, go to Romans chapter 12. If you want to use the Bibles in the chairs, it's page 790. And this passage kind of capsulizes what we've been talking about so far, okay? So Romans chapter 12, page 790, sincere love. This is what Paul says starting with verse 9. He says this, love must be sincere, right? So then he's going to describe it. This is what sincere love looks like. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, hopeful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, burning coals of kindness on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Apostle Paul says this, listen, Christ follower, in this whole mix and these ingredients, the main thing is sincere love. When you come with sincere love and you make that the main thing, it causes the other ingredients, it gives them the ability to work. When I come with myself, and I have a sincere love, and I'm, it's a spiritual fervor, and my commitment is to serve the Lord. God, whatever you say to me, whatever you want from me, my life is fully yours and under your definition and control. I will do whatever you ask me to do, no matter how difficult I think it is at the time. I have a sincere love. I'm not looking to get even. I'm leaving that to you. You avenge. I don't need to. I'm looking to create peace. I'm, I'm looking for understanding. God, I, I want that. I want to have understanding. And so I, I want to know where their pain's coming from. I want to hear their stories. I don't want to curse. I want to bless. And, and, and God, not only all that, I, I want to bring myself, I want to bring understanding, but then I want to bring my expectations instead of looking and saying, you should be feeding me, I'm looking at you and saying, I'll feed you. You should be, you should giving me something for my relational thirst. I'm going to give something to you for your relational thirst. I am not going to be overcome by this evil. I'm not getting sucked into the war. I want to overcome evil with good. And the Apostle Paul and Jesus, I I believe, would say this. If you have done that, if you with a sincere love are saying, listen, I have put everything at the table that I can put at the table. I will will give up anything. I, I give myself. 
I, I have sought to understand. I, I, hurting people hurt people, and I don't understand, but I'm trying my best. And, and my expectation is to give to you, not receive from you. Paul would say, when you have done that, you have set the table, and you cannot really do anything more than this. I love the way he says this in verse 18, same chapter. He says, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Whatever, is, whatever depends on you, if you are keeping an ingredient off the table, that's on you. Put it on the table. If it's possible, whatever depends on you, put it on the table. And that's all you can do. You have acted as a peacemaker. You've offered it. Maybe you're brokering it. You're willing to receive it. But the table is set. Everything there on my part is there for the brownies. I can't do anything else. Now, this verse is really, really important. Because if the Apostle Paul was here in this conversation this weekend, he might say this. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, he might look at you and say, you know what? Sometimes it's not up to you. So for some of us, we would look and say, hey, Jeff, my table's been set for years, man. He won't go to counseling. He won't stop his addictive behavior. He won't, I can't. My table is set, and my kid is off the rails. I have apologized. I have tried. I've read every parenting book I can think of. I, I've tried to get behind their pain. I think I even know where it's coming from. I, I've lowered my expectations. I'm like, hey, just get like a basic job. You don't have to be a super. I've done everything that I can do, and they are still off the rails. Hey, Jeff, I, my roommate, I don't, they won't even talk to me. We were getting along fine, and like she snapped one day. I, I begged her to talk with me. She won't talk to me. And there are times in our lives where, where we can set out the ingredients for peace, but another person, the other person will not come to the table and make it with us. And Paul would say this, if you've done everything that you can do, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. You've done all that you can do, and they will not respond to what you're trying to do. He would say this, you can still be at peace. When the table is set and the other party is rejecting it, he would say, you be at peace. When you look and say, my love is sincere, my expectations are managed, I, 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 he would say, it's okay. Be at peace. You've done, before God, you've done everything that you can do. You cannot force it. All you can do is set the ingredients out. Now, you can release yourself from that false guilt. And the minute, if they move, boom, doors open. But we're not enabling. We're, we're, we're not in denial, right? You can't bring that into my home. I love you, but no, we're not... See, we're, we're, we're not doing any of that. We're not pacifying somebody. And if you've offered peace and peace has been refused, Paul would say, be at peace. You've done what you can do. Now, this conversation is an important one. And it's not an important one because it's Christmas time and these things happen in Christmas. It's, it's an important conversation 
because this conversation actually is Christmas. This is actually what Christ did. This is another passage Paul wrote here in Romans chapter five. He says this. He says, for, for if while we were God's enemies, the Bible, that's a, that's a Bible word. It says it in Romans, it says it in Colossians, it says it in other places in the Bible. And the Bible says this, this state of enmity, this ongoing conflict, we're enemies of God in our heart before we come to peace with him, before we accept his forgiveness and his salvation. So Paul says, while that's going on, while we're God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, we were brought to peace with him through Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, how much more having been reconciled shall we, uh, shall we be saved through his life? That Paul looks and says, listen, don't you see, you were an enemy with God and God set the table for peace. God, through Christmas, through his life, the giving of his life and the raising of himself from the dead, puts the ingredients for peace out. God looks and says, you know what, I'll give you myself. I will give you my one and only son. I will give you everything that I have. I bring myself to the table. We're at war with each other spiritually. We have enmity. I will bring myself to the table. Not only will I bring myself, I'll bring understanding. You know what I'm going to do? But because my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and the mysteries of God are the mysteries of God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring myself into the human experience so that through my humanity you can understand my deity. I'll be, you know, I'll be born of a virgin in a barn and like a manger with a cow so that you can see my life and you can see my humility and in my humanity, my deity starts to make sense. You can wrap your head around it. I will bring understanding to that. And not only that, you know what I'm going to do for you guys? I'm going to lower my expectations. I'm going to manage them. I actually, this is cool, I actually am not going to expect you to be sinless. I'm actually not going to expect you to understand all the mysteries of God. I'm actually not going to expect you to live the Bible out perfectly. You know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to bring myself, I'm going to bring it in a way that you understand. I'm going to, this is the deal. I'm going to make it that you, so that you're saved by faith and by grace, not by works. Because I'm going to, I, I realize that's, a, that's an expectation you can't meet. So by my mercy and my grace, and, and your faith in me, that's how we're going to make this whole thing work. And, and if you will engage what I put at the table, we'll make the brownies. We'll come to peace. Christmas, Christmas is God's self-initiated sacrificial act. It is God being a peacemaker. See, it, It's the depth of it. That's why it's, it's joy to the world. That, that's why it's good news of great joy for all the people. That's ultimately what it means when it says peace on earth. God makes, God makes the move. And if you ever wanted to know what peacemaking looks like, look at Christmas. Myself, understanding, by grace through faith. Right? And, and these ingredients are at. And the only thing that's required for peace to be made is for me to come to the table. As far as it depends on God, he's made every move that he can make 
to set out the ingredients for peace. The next move is mine. See, I, I engage it. I meet God at the table, so to say. And we mix that all together. And that's how we make the brownies. Now, as you're walking away this weekend, I think there's three things I'd want you to get a hold of, right? Here's the first one. I want you to get a hold of this horribly cheesy illustration, and I want brownies to drive you crazy the rest of your life. So I hear that people go into the kitchen and cook a lot at Christmas time. I, I've never personally done it, but I, I hear it happens. So we, we're always doing this, right? Making the fudge, making the brownies, cooking the whatever. And I actually want you to get it in your head that when you're handling these ingredients, if you're a follower of Christ, you're reminded that you have everything that you need to be a peacemaker. We don't stand powerless as followers of Christ. I can't make you be at peace, but I can set the table for you. So I want you to kind of get that cheesy illustration in your head a little bit and start to get your head around it. Here's the second thing I, I would encourage you to do. I actually want you to wrestle with this. Ready? If you're a Christ follower, here's the question that I would ask if I was you. Ready? Here it is. Is there anybody anywhere on planet Earth that I am not at peace with? Is there anybody anywhere on planet Earth that I am not at peace with? And if that is true, their name probably just popped into your mind. And God would look at you and say, once you know what to do, if you don't do it, the responsibility shifts to you. Not denial, not, not reestablishing trust, not pacifying them, but peace. So is there a phone call, a text, a message that you need to send? See, anybody anywhere on planet Earth that you are not at peace with? Now here's the second question I would ask. Ready? For the Christ follower, is there anybody anywhere on planet Earth that you need to receive peace from? You're the one who won't return the message. You're the one who won't show up at the party. You're the one who's sick of dealing with it, right? And that's, it's hard because that stuff is rooted in pain and it's rooted in a story, it's rooted in the past and Jeff, you just don't know and I, I get it all. But, but if the living God is within me and this is what pleases him, is there anybody anywhere on planet Earth that I need to receive peace from, okay? Then the last thing is this. For all of us, especially those of us who are not yet Christ followers, the question for you would start here. Do you need to make peace with God? The table is set. The intention is illustrated, Christmas. And the Bible would say that everything that I need to have this spiritual battle between me and God, to, to have the cessation of hostilities, it's all there. God did it all. The only missing ingredient would be me coming to the table to make the brownies. 
So have you ever received the forgiveness of your sin? Have you ever believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that salvation is found in him alone? Have you ever looked at God and said, God, I'm going to give you all of my life in the same way that you gave me all of your life. I'm going to love you as you have loved me. And I give you definition and direction over every nuance of who I am. And if we are not yet, if we have not made peace with God, the table is set, the invitation is extended, the gift is being offered. Have you received it? All right. Anybody, anywhere on planet Earth, I need to make peace with or receive peace from. And then have I actually engaged in the peacemaking offering that is Christmas, okay? And when we do that, we illustrate, we emulate, we imitate the person of God. This is how he makes sense. And he looks and says, blessed are the peacemakers. I love it when my kids do that. It brings me joy. It brings me honor. And there is nothing that I would love more than for you to bring peace home for Christmas. And ask the band to come out. They're going to quit, create a little space for us. And guess, I, I encourage you to take advantage of it. We're, we're so hectic. Sit and think for a minute. It's good for your soul. Pray, ask God, let him show you, and then respond appropriately, okay? Jesus, we love you. Help us with this. Big deal. Tough stuff. Very complicated. But God, you, you are greater. You're greater than us. You're greater than our pain. You're greater than the one who's in the world. And so we stand as your children. Show us. Lead us. Give us courage, power, discernment, understanding, humility, to do what you've called us to do. God, for those of us who are not your children yet, pull strongly on our heart, Holy Spirit. Draw us to yourself and your kindness and help us, God, to receive the peace that you offer, maybe even for the first time this weekend. Work in our hearts and our minds in these still moments. Draw us to yourself, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.